Matthew 5. And we started this morning reading in verse 27. Let's just begin there once more. In verse 27, Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, probably better translated fornication, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now there are reasons to keep this text all together. This section begins with the warning, you shall not commit adultery. And it ends with a statement that if you divorce your wife, whoever marries this divorced woman commits adultery. So there are reasons to view this as all one section. There are reasons to begin verse 31, to believe verse 31 begins a new section. Because just as verse 21 and verse 27 were introduced with, you have heard, here he introduces this statement with, it was said. So it could be like this is a new section. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Jesus will contrast that with, but I say to you. Now, in a lot of these places, what we've studied so far from the Sermon on the Mount, beginning with verse 21, only a couple of places we've mentioned. Uh, but he, he quotes a Ten Commandments. Here he's not quoting one of the Ten Commandments. He is making reference to a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Now I ask you to turn with me to Deuteronomy 24. And I want to ask you, you can understand this passage. This isn't anything complex. What is the purpose of this passage? What is the purpose of this passage? In Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. 
and he writes her a certificate of divorce. There is our phrase from Matthew 5.31. He writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. And she leaves the house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife. Since she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. What is the focal point of that passage? What is that passage trying to express? Is that passage trying to emphasize the grounds of divorce? Is it trying to emphasize the certificate of divorce? Is it trying to give us the reason for divorce? Is that what Deuteronomy 24 is doing? I would suggest, and the more you read the text, the more clearly, the more clearly I think you will see this. That verses 1 through 3 only give the circumstance under which verse 4 applies. The circumstance is a wife finds no favor in her husband's eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And he gives her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand. She leaves the house. She marries another man. The second husband dies, or the second husband also gives her a certificate of divorce. All of this in verses 1 through 3 explains the circumstance, explains the condition under which verse 4 applies. The legislation here is in verse 4. Verse 4 tells us that the former husband who once sent her away is not allowed to marry her again. And this is considered so serious that the land is said to be defiled as a result of that. The emphasis in this passage is not the rightness or wrongness of divorce. The emphasis of this passage is not the grounds of divorce. The emphasis of this passage is none of that. The emphasis is simply under all these conditions that verses 1 through 3 describe. Under these conditions, the first husband is not to marry her again. It is quite a stretch of that passage. To say, just give her a certificate of divorce, and she's free to remarry, and you're free to remarry. It's quite a stretch of the original intent of the passage. To this point, when we've looked at, you shall not 
commit murder, but I say to you, or you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you. What was happening were people were limiting the scope of God's commandment. It didn't refer simply to the outward act, but it referred to surrendering our whole heart to God. Not only do we not murder, but we're not angry. Not only do we not commit adultery, but we seek not to lust. This passage, here they not only limited, limited the scope of God's word, but they also extended its privileges. That passage doesn't say it's okay to divorce as long as you give your wife a certificate of divorce. But before we look at what Jesus said, I want us to say a couple of things about the atmosphere of the first century world in the first century Jewish world on this subject. Now let me invite you, before we look at Matthew, turn your Bibles to Malachi 2. Malachi 2. Some of you will remember this statement right off because of that statement, for I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. In Malachi 2.16. But let's explain a little bit of the context. Look at verse 13 of Malachi 2. This is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning. Because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. So God is not accepting their worship. Yet you say, for what reason? They don't know why it is that God is not accepting their worship. The answer is given in verse 14. Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Against whom you have dealt treacherously. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. God was not accepting their worship. It's kind of like 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. God didn't hear the people's prayers or the men's prayers because they were mistreating their wives. God did not accept their worship because God has seen how they have mistreated the wife of their youth. Apparently, in verses 10 through 12, they were putting away the wife of their youth. And marrying foreign girls who worship other gods. And God says because of that, he doesn't accept their worship. In verse 15, but no one has done so who has a remnant of the spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. Let no one do that. In verse 16, for I hate divorce, says the Lord God, the God of Israel, and he, him who covers his garments with wrong, says the Lord of hosts, so take heed to your spirits that you do not deal treacherously. Now, I will say something. That translation 
I hate divorce. It's difficult to arrive. The subject is not clear. It may be better translated possibility as he who hates and divorces his wife. But I ask you this. You heard the reading of the passage. You've looked at the passage before. Is there anything positive about the Lord's? In that passage. Even if you recognize we don't know exactly how to translate the first part of verse 16. Is there anything positive about divorce in that picture? Okay, now keep that in mind. And let me talk to you about this. As people became less familiar with biblical Hebrew. What they did in their synagogue services is they had a reading from the Hebrew text. They had a re- reading from the Hebrew text, but as less and less of the people were familiar with it, what they did is they made Aramaic, a language very similar to Hebrew, paraphrases of the Hebrew text. The most important paraphrase... Aramaic paraphrase on the minor prophets is Targum Jonathan. Now, this is what that Aramaic Targum said on Malachi 2.16. If you hate her, divorce her. Okay, I acknowledge, I hate divorce, may not even be the best translation. Is this a passage that's giving permission for husbands to divorce her? As long as you hate her, that's okay. Well, that's comforting. You may not know a word of Hebrew, but you can see the overall context that whatever it is saying about divorce is that it is not a good thing. And it would truly have to be, you have to do a lot of gymnastics to come out with that understanding. Okay? We're still talking about the environment of the first century world on this subject. Josephus Leo from 37 to 100 AD. These are his comments on Deuteronomy 24. He said, he that desires to be divorced from his wife for any cause whatsoever. And the underlining is my emphasis. But if you desire to be divorced from your wife for any cause whatsoever. And he puts... As a parenthetical statement, many such causes happen among men. Let him in writing give assurance that he will never use her as his wife anymore. All you have to do, if you have a reason you want to divorce her, you just give her assurance in writing that you're not going to marry her again. 
And it says, after this, by this means, she may be at liberty to marry another husband. Although before this, bill of divorcement be given, she is not permitted to do so. Now again, we're trying to talk about the first century world. And as we talk about that world, these were the attitudes that were prevailing among Jewish people about this subject. Among Jewish people about this subject. Okay? Have you all heard about the debate between the Jewish rabbis that there was a school of Halal that stated it's okay to divorce your wife for any cause even if she burns the bread or burns the food. Another side which said you can only divorce for immorality. Have you, you heard of that debate? You heard of that dispute? Now, first of all, the side that seems to have garnered the most support is the side that emphasized you could divorce your wife for any reason, even if she burned the bread. I would ask you seriously, if divorce biblically could be so easily attained, does that give confidence in that relationship between husband and wife? Could you cook breakfast with confidence in that environment? You couldn't do anything with confidence. What I'm trying to demonstrate, though, is to show you that even those who believed you could only divorce for immorality, maybe that wasn't as good as you may have thought. The school of Hillel believed you could divorce for any reason, and the school of Shammai believed the only reason for divorce was adultery or fornication. But listen to this, some things included in adultery. Included in this, included in immorality or fornication or adultery was going outside with hair unfastened. Or spinning cloth in the street with the armpits uncovered. What I'm trying to say is even those who are sometimes said to be the closest to what Jesus said on the subject of divorce... They seem to treat the subject much differently than he did. And Jesus, when Jesus was asked about this in Matthew 19, I ask you to turn your Bibles there. 
When Jesus was asked in Matthew 19 verse 3, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Well, that's pretty close to the statement that Josephus made affirming that is the right for husbands to divorce their wife for any reason. They ask him this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? He does not refer to Deuteronomy 24. They later will, but he refers to Genesis 2. Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they'll no longer be two, but one flesh. And what God has joined together, what God has glued together, man is not to separate. Let no man separate. Jesus goes back to God's original intention. He doesn't deal with all the measures that Deuteronomy 24 does after things have gone awry. He simply emphasizes God's original intention for one man, for one woman, for life. They bring up the certificate of divorce. He said it was because of the hardness of your hearts. And he says in verse 9, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now we want to look at that in a moment in Matthew 5.32 a little bit more. But what I want you to notice right now is the disciples' response to this teaching. The disciples are stunned by it. And I think you can see why. Jesus is speaking not like others are speaking. If the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. They apparently are stunned by this. But Jesus said not all men can accept this statement that it's better not to marry. Only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. So, the disciples probably did not come to Jesus with this being their original understanding. But Jesus is not here doing damage control as Deuteronomy 24 does. Jesus Jesus is going back to God's original intention. But look back at Matthew 5.32 and let's just look at what Jesus says. And I ask you, wherever you are in your life, look at his words. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, let's right now leave out that exception clause. Everyone who divorces his wife makes her commit adultery. The assumption is, That she's going to marry. Jewish teaching in that day would have said as long as she has that certificate of divorce, she's free to be married to any man. Josephus would have said that. Jesus said, if you're divorcing her and she remarries, divorcing her for no reason, 
No scriptural reason. You're causing her to commit adultery. And Jesus says, whoever marries, whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Do you see how different his teaching was from that of those in his day? They limited the scope of you shall not kill. They limited the scope of you shall not commit adultery. They extended the permission of whoever wants to divorce his wife. Let him give her a certificate of divorce. This was not God's intention. This is not God's plan. God's plan is one man for one woman for life. And if you divorce your wife and she marries, she commits adultery. And the one to whom she is married commits adultery. Matthew does have in Matthew 5.32 and in Matthew 19.9 this exception clause. It is not present in Mark 10. It is not present in Luke 16.18. But it is present here. I think the word unchastity would be better translated fornication, which can refer to sexual immorality of various kinds, what we would refer to as fornication, what we refer to as adultery, what we refer to as homosexuality, would all fit under that category from various passages of Scripture. And in that case, the person who has committed fornication, their mate can put them away and remarry. Now, am I meaning by this that if your partner commits adultery, you got to divorce We could refer to some quotations where some in Jesus' day said that. But Jesus doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, I think it's pretty striking that right before Matthew 19 and Jesus teaching on the board comes the teaching about her I'm not trying to answer every situation that can arise. I couldn't do that anyway. What I am trying to state is I don't believe these passages are teaching an obligation to divorce in such circumstances. If the person who has committed adultery, the person who's committed fornication is repentant and begs the forgiveness of the other Certainly the other person needs to take into consideration all that God has forgiven them of and how merciful He has been to them. Now we could look at this verse 
and think this verse is restricted, this verse is prohibited, this verse takes away our freedom. Or we could look at it as giving us true liberty. With all the ups and downs of marriage and all the difficulties that exist for any couple that's been together for years and years, there's a determination that you're going to be faithful to each other. There's going to be a determination that just as Christ was faithful to his people, the husband is going to be faithful to his wife. And just as the church is supposed to be faithful to Christ, the wife is going to be faithful to her husband. We could look at it as restrictive and prohibitive. Or we could look at it as freedom, assurance, and a reminder, a regular reminder of God's Persistent love of us. Let me say something particularly to those of you who are unmarried. I appreciate the way I was raised. I appreciate the preachers and teachers that taught me. All of them sincere men trying to teach me in the ways of truth. Would I look back and agree with every single statement made? I'm sure I wouldn't look back at every statement I've made here and agree with. I'm sure I wouldn't in that setting. But I want to tell you a couple of things that I am most grateful for that were hammered home to me. Time after time after time when I was young. One is that you need to marry a Christian. You need to marry a Christian. Now, that also has a certain instruction for us. I remember I started hearing that and started thinking about that before I was really serious about following Jesus. But I thought... I'm going to marry a Christian. And one thing that demands is that you be a Christian. That you be faithful. That you have the Lord as your focus. Have the Lord as your focus. Because if you don't have the Lord as your focus, and you make a decision about marriage, and it's a good one, it's by accident. You're only going to make that decision with the Lord as your focus. But I would tell you, young people, I would encourage you, young people, that when you need to marry a Christian, and when you bring home that boy or girl the first time, and your parents do not like them, and they won't, trust me, the reason they're going to be suspicious is because they know what a profound impact who you marry will have on your life. And they're going to be reluctant to give that up. And they're always going to have questions. Not, maybe not always. My animals do with me, but not always. You know, people. 
But second, I am thankful when I was raised, I was called. You marry once. That's it. You don't you don't have a contingency plan. And you don't sign a prenup. Say that this thing doesn't work. Because it's going to work. It's going to work. It's got to work. It's your only option. Now, I know people, and I'm not saying, trying to make a definitive statement on the prenuptial. I'm trying to drive home a point that we're not making provisions for the situation not to work out. And and I would say, as you think about marriage, that I recognize some have made that vow and entered with that understanding and kept their promise. And the other party didn't. And I can't imagine the heartbreak and the disappointment that goes along with that. I have heard many people express it to me. But it is still hard to grasp. But I will say this. It is better to be wronged in such a situation. Than to be the one who does wrong. As painful as that is. Better to be wronged. Than to be the one who does wrong. And so let these words of Jesus. Lodge in your minds. And your hearts. And let them influence who you marry and how you act when you are married. Because God's intention is that you be faithful to each other till death do you part. And when we do that, we provide a living illustration to the world of God's love for His people. Let us pray. O Lord our God, thank You for the blessing of marriage. And thank You for Your words. Forgive us, O Lord, for the times we had trouble seeing the beauty of your word. But help us to take your words seriously and seek to live them in our lives. We pray you be with us as husbands and wives. That we may do what is right in your sight. That we might have marriages that might reflect your relationship with your people to all around us.
Forgive us for times we've failed. Help us to walk close to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for bearing with me as we've looked at these texts today. Maybe you're a younger person, maybe an older one. And you realize you haven't gotten serious about your relationship with Christ. And you know that you need to. Why not tonight? If you see your sin and you see your shortcomings and you know you need His forgiveness, why not tonight? Why not repent of your sins and confess your faith and be baptized for remission of sins? If we can help you that way, if you need to acknowledge something before the congregation, we invite you to come as we stand and sit.